Welcome to RV Miles, your home for RV and camping news, reviews, travel guides, and more. I'm Jason. And I'm Abby. And this is episode 28 of the RV Miles podcast. To get today's show notes, head over to rvmiles.com slash episode 28. You can also keep up with RV Miles on social media at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you want to follow along with Jason and I and the boys as we trek around New Mexico, we are over at ourwanderingfamily.com. And we are also on Facebook. Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and Twitter. And we are coming to you from New Mexico in the traveling RV Miles studio, <laughs> our, our wander bus. Thankfully, we're back on the road again. Yeah, Happy we're glad. Happy to be moving along. Um, and the, the podcast might change a little bit now that we're back on the road, I think. We'll be talking a lot more about our travels now that we're back into the swing of it. So on this week's episode, we are going to spend the second segment talking about our travel down here to Roswell, New Mexico, where we are right now. Talk about how we broke our travel rules (laughs) just to get here. (laughs) And then we're going to spend some time. People have been asking us more and more to talk more about our school bus conversion. So we're going to talk about sort of the process that we went through to build our our very own RV. Yeah. Essentially, we're going to do what we did with the RV ownership podcast. Yeah. We're just going to talk a little bit about what you can expect and what we learned financially converting a school bus into a home. That's right. There you go. There you go. (laughs) But first, let's do some news. So the we keep talking about over and over the incredible sales in the RV industry. 500,000 units shipped to dealers last year. The first time it's ever broken half a million. And not only, I mean, that's it was 400,000 the year before. A few years ago, 2009, was was under 200,000 units. So this last year, RV manufacturers tripled their output from just a few years back in 2009. I think if you ever doubt whether or not the industry is booming or whether or not this is becoming a more popular way to travel. Just look at that stat. Look at where the RV industry was in 2009. Look at where they are in 2007. I mean, that is amazing to me that half a million RVs were shipped out across the country to dealers. Yeah, it's it's really incredible. And a lot of that is driven by the fact that the economy is more stable, of course, mm-hmm. than it was in, in 2008 when everything crashed. Um, but a lot of it has to do with the way younger people like to travel now. And we we posted an article a couple days ago, ago on the website uh, about a new study that, that found that millennials, one third of millennials, and I hate talking about millennials. I know you, again, it's labels. Abby and I are on on the cusp of (laughs) Generation X and millennials. Technically, I guess we're millennials. But we have a, and I'm not going to remember it right now, but there's actually a little subcategory for us. Like the people in between millennials and Generation X, isn't it like Generation XYZ? No, it's it's Xennials <laughs> oh. with an X, starting with an X, Xennials. <laughs> That's it's the so worst bad. word ever. So I think we're more like the Star Wars generation because we were born when those movies came out. You just want to be anything Star Wars. I do. That I think that's what that's it true. is. We were, but I'll take it. We were kind of too young to actually watch them. Like I was not even born when the first one came out, but whatever. <laughs> Neither was I. But people blame <laughs> millennials for a lot of things, right? They, they say there are all these articles out there about millennials killing this and killing that <laughs> because they're not buying this and buying that. They're not buying lawnmowers anymore. 
But uh, millennials are buying RVs for sure. And millennials like to camp. One third of millennials prefer camping over any other accommodation, over hotels, over staying with their family and over Airbnb. They're keeping the RV dream alive. They are. Yeah, they are. But, you know, I was thinking to go back to that half a million RVs shipped in 2017 conversation that I wonder, too, if some of it has to do with this boom in the industry, that people are just being more cautious about how they spend their money and how they travel. I think for a lot of us, we still really feel the impact of that recession and the kind of, I think, maybe sense memory that comes from it and wanting to protect your money. And for those who really did lose a lot of money, I think that the RV allows you that freedom to still continue to travel without the potential cost. That is not to say you could not go and buy a Tiffin for $2.1 million. Yeah. But I do think that travel becomes more accessible when you are able to purchase and have a unit at your disposal at all times, and then you're just paying a campground fee. And some state parks offer really great, like New Mexico, offer really great deals to get you in their parks to get you to camp. So I think it'll be interesting to watch the trend as we continue in this industry and the years continue and millennials grow up more. They're already grown up, but they continue to grow up and we continue to grow up. And I think it'll be really fun to see that campgrounds, RV purchases, they're really going like across the spectrum of all different types of individuals and lifestyles. And part of that is the tiny house movement as well. People are really excited to go small. We are clearly a result of the tiny house movement. We have taken something that was one thing and turned it into another so it'll be interesting to see what the numbers for 2018 are and beyond. So that is our news for this week. Hey, if you haven't yet, go over to the RV Miles website and check out our section called RV Epicure. It is uh, really, we're really excited about some of the recipes that are in this. RV Epicure is, it's created by Chef Hardcore, our sort of resident chef at RV Miles. And he's a full-time RVer. And he's created this series. And we, when we originally sort of talked about this, we kind of thought it was going to be more of a how to cook in an RV and on the road series. And he has sort of turned it into a um, actually you can cook anything on the yeah. road series. He's done lasagna. Um, he's hit all the carbs that I like to eat. All- he did fettuccine Alfredo. He did. And this was not too super carb heavy, but he did this recipe we made a few weeks ago that was stir fried pork lettuce wraps. And I don't fancy myself a cook. It's not really been something I feel very good at or, you know, particularly draw joy from doing. But man, I really enjoyed making that recipe. I enjoyed even more eating that recipe. It was really good. It was really good. And it sort of confirmed for us that it was really foolish that we got rid of our walk. I know. Oh. And now we need to go buy another one. Well, we've been talking about getting a larger frying pan. But forget for a while. that. We're going to get we the walk. We're just going to walk yeah. because you can do anything. Totally. Yeah. So he had that recipe. But this week, man, this week's recipe, this is why we had to talk about him this week. He sent over a shredded chicken pot pie recipe that he makes in a cast iron skillet and he uses cornbread in place of the pie crust. And oh man, 
I mean, he just ticked off two of my favorite <laughs> things, chicken pot pie and cornbread yeah. made in a cast iron skillet. Yeah. Done. I mean, I've been saying to you for like two days now, we need to make this recipe. I know. We're going to have to. Yeah. We got to go to the store and get. We got to go to the store. <laughs> we got to buy a walk and we have to buy stuff to make shredded chicken pot pie. You know what I really love about this series, though, is he's really trying to sort of do something different with recipes. He gives you the recipe. He gives you the steps on how to make it. But he spends some time talking about it, talking about techniques that you can learn to sort of figure out some of this stuff on your own instead of having to follow recipes like a robot all the time. Yeah, he really encourages you to also make it your own. Yeah. Like if you don't like the particular spice or vegetable or protein that he uses, then substitute it. Like I think that that's what's so cool about it is that there's no wrong way to make this particular recipe. So we were trying to get him on the podcast. So Chef Hardcore, some sometime in the next couple of weeks, uh, will be a guest on the podcast. But please go check out RV Epicure on the website and also follow him on Instagram and on Facebook as well. Yeah, so you can constantly be hungry. Yeah. You'll always be hungry. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about our sort of travel diary for the last (laughs) few days because it's been really interesting. It was really interesting. We're glad to be here in New Mexico. Police have been involved. All right, guys, we'll be right back. Okay, Abby, hit us with last week's brain teaser. Ten candles stand burning in a dining room. A strong breeze blows in through an open window and extinguishes three of them. Assuming the wind doesn't extinguish any more candles, how many candles do you have left in the end? Jason. The answer is not ten. (laughs) I said ten. (laughs) Yes. Because I was like, all the candles will still be. I thought it was so smart that, oh, all the candles are still there, though, just because they've blown out. No. But of course, the candles burned down. Yes. So there are three left. So there's three so left. So there you go. That's your answer. Yeah. Three. Good job. Thanks. The winner this week is Jim Seaborn from Georgia. Jim, you'll be getting an RV Miles decal. Woo! <laughs> and we'll have the new brain teaser at the end of the show. Stick around. So we wanted to talk a bit about our journey here because it's been an epic one. Getting back on the road again after six weeks or so, not on the road. Yeah, you know, it was epic, but at the same time, it wasn't. And I know that that's so contradictory to say, but I wrote an article over at Our Wandering Family that just kind of talked about how it was a really long three days to get here. But in regards to how our family unit operated together it was really smooth it was the external outside factors that really played in a lot to like how we landed here and how we got from Belton to Roswell but our family the kids look I gotta give it to the kids they did so well they were troopers they were bored out of their minds sometimes (laughs) they were hungry a lot. I 
mean, I just felt like I was throwing food at people for three days straight, but they were great. So we broke our travel rule, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is usually 200 miles. We use, we sometimes push it to 300 miles in a day. When we're feeling crazy. When we're feeling crazy. <laughs> we did two days straight, 400 miles each. Yeah. We thought maybe that first day we might, we had a few different planned potential stops. Maybe that first day we might go 500 miles only in order to keep the second day shorter. But we just, it was just too much. It was too much. But the reason we did that, and we've talked about it, why we did it, but really we needed to get away from the cold. Yeah, it was so cold in Kansas City and we wanted to get to warm weather as quickly as possible. And we figured we had it in us too because we'd been sitting stationary for a couple of months. We can get in and we can do a couple really hard days of drive, 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 and everyone will be fine. And yeah, you know, that first day we were plowing through Kansas and, you know, it's Kansas. <laughs> There's not a lot I to see or do. So we've never gone that route. We've both driven across Kansas mm-hmm. to Colorado. We've never gone that route. We took the Kansas Turnpike from Kansas City down to Oklahoma City. First time we had also been on a toll road. Yeah, we'd with... never taken the bus on a toll road nope. before, which went pretty smoothly. Didn't really save us a lot of fuel. No. Um, you know, in ter- the the cost savings of the the toll cost is about fifteen bucks, and the fuel savings didn't really make it worth it. But the time savings did. We did save about forty five minutes to an hour. Yeah, and when you're doing eight nine hour travel days, yeah. forty five minutes is worth its yeah. weight in gold. And I will say that the drive through Kansas heading south from Kansas City is a lot nicer than the drive. Heading west from Kansas City. Well, sure, because when you're driving west through Kansas, you literally don't think the road is ever going to end or change. It is this straight line of just the plains and a road running straight through them. Yeah. And so there was still nothing. (laughs) Yeah, there was still nothing. But it wasn't flat. No. And we got into Oklahoma, which was great. We went through Oklahoma City and we stayed just on the like 30 miles on the other side of Oklahoma in El Reno. And we ended up boondocking, which we did not plan yeah, on we, doing we at all. Planning, this was a city park that we yeah. found that was one of three potential city parks. There are several uh, throughout Oklahoma that we had potentially thought we might stop at. And we pulled into this one, what do you say, about 7.30 or so? Oh, no, I think it was earlier than that. It was like 6-ish. Because yeah, but it was after sort of business hours. Yeah, oh, yeah, totally. And so we pull in and we park and we're starting to get, um, you know, set up. We get this nice pull through so we didn't have to unhook the car or anything. Yeah, we're like, score, it's a pull through and this is a first come first serve campground and there's spots and you know it's kind of like we're high-fiving each other like oh yeah we've done good and then and then i go to plug us in and there's a padlock (laughs) on the electricity yeah so i take a walk over to the pay station area where they've got a bunch of signage about you know the rules and things for this park which isn't manned there's no camp host or anything and uh trying to find is there a phone number i could call do they have a key somewhere like once you pay or something no information no information i go on the website try to find any information there nothing i go look through reviews on google and on all stays to see if anybody has listed anything and nobody at the campground is there to ask except our neighbors who when we pulled up promptly like 
drew the curtains around their class A and kind of like turned off their lights. And so we thought, hmm, we don't think they want us to talk to them. But they were actually (laughs) super nice because I met them the next morning and they're the ones that told me what happened. They had been to this park before and they said they arrived too and they saw the padlock there and that had never happened before. They had been to this park several times and there was never a padlock on the electricity before. So they went through the same thing as we did and they called the city and the city patched them through to the parks department and had somebody over there in 10 minutes. But we were there after hours, so that wasn't really useful to us. So we boondocked it for the night and it was fine. We had to use our propane heat, no big deal. It was an adventure. We cooked on the Coleman stove. We were all pretty tired anyway. We conked out at like nine o'clock thinking, oh, well, we're going to bed early. We're going to get up early. We're going to get on the road. And I'll be darned if we did not sleep until 830 in the morning. I know. We just can't. We didn't we didn't hit the road until 10. We can't. And that happened in Belton, too, when we were trying to leave on day one. We didn't get on the road until 10. And here we are at a campground. We have a pull through. We're not even using the electricity we even, and we can't even get on the road. We what even is- put the kids in the clothes they would wear the yeah. next day to sleep in. We cannot get on the road before 10 o'clock. It is just impossible for us. I don't know why. But I don't know. And I don't know when we're going to like just embrace <laughs> just that embrace it. and be like, you know, because, what? we're 10 o'clock people because we're worried if we embrace it, that it's going to become more noon people. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> if we keep having a goal of being like 830 in the morning, people, then when 10 o'clock hits, we don't feel so bad. But if we embrace being 10. And it's like noon, like we might as well just end up not going anywhere at that point, yeah. <laughs> especially when you're trying to cover 400 miles in another day. So we headed west from Oklahoma City and through Amarillo and from Amarillo, we turned south down towards New Mexico or southwest. And that drive. Woo, there were a lot of cows. Look, that drive was <laughs> windy. And that drive was smelly. I mean, you're literally driving through like some of the roads between Amarillo and New Mexico where the road literally goes through meat packing plants. Yes. <laughs> and the yes. smell is epic. It's, it's epic. <laughs> and it's a little uh, little off putting for meat eaters. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Um, but. The wind through Oklahoma, we just drove straight into it. And I think anyone who knows when they're traveling and you're hauling your RV with you or you're driving your big old RV and you are stuck driving into the wind, you feel like you are going nowhere fast. Our bus has a limiter on it. I can't go above uh, about 64 miles an hour. And, which is fine. Like we yeah, usually don't, we don't need, need to, to go any. any faster than that. But I could not get, I could not get above 55. Oh my gosh. And, it was so yeah, frustrating. And uphill, <laughs> it, it was like getting down to 45. Oh, I, I'm, and, people were probably well, just you, cursing the speed us. speed limits through like Texas, through the panhandle there, that's 75 mile an hour speed limits. I know. <laughs> not if you're in one. But it was bus. fine. Nobody cared. I mean, whatever. There's semi trucks are doing the same thing. Not it a was big rough. deal. It killed but our it, miles it was, per gallon. It was really windy. We had terrible fuel mileage and uh, we were really glad to pull into Oasis State Park just across the border from the Texas Panhandle into New Mexico. And we were rewarded with a really beautiful campground, another pull through, which we didn't actually know we were going to get to that. Every site at this campground, I think, was a pull through, if not the pull through, they have sort of like a little exit road for your you to pull out of, which is I want to meet. 
want to meet the individual or individuals who laid out this campground yeah. and came out came up with this design because it is some of the coolest layout I have seen because the way they did it with the pull throughs being like a horseshoe shape. Yeah. You never were looking like your side windows. You didn't, you didn't see neighbors. Yeah. We were all lined up, but it was a horseshoe shape. So our front ends and our back ends were facing each other, but we were never going to have like a view of each other. You just had this beautiful New Mexico landscape to look yeah, at. Yeah. That, so that's, smart. That's, you know, uh, uh, something we haven't experienced, or at least in a while, is just a vast, empty landscape. Because, you know, mm-hmm. once you get into New Mexico and, and and that area of the southwest, there's no there's no trees obstructing views or anything like that. And it just goes on and on yeah, forever. Yeah, it's beautiful. beautiful. We really sunset. appreciated that they did not have a padlock on the electric. <laughs> so we were able to plug in. That and was nice. And um, this park must have been fairly new. Yeah. Because the bathrooms were gorgeous brand new yeah. though they didn't have any soap at the sinks weird. and yeah and the water was pretty cold in the shower yeah. but they i mean it was the cleanest nicest state park bathrooms i've ever seen well some of us got to shower there yeah some of us didn't some so of us didn't. Well, yeah. i told you not to because no, i thought saying. it was a little cold at night to shower in hey there. you know to each their own <laughs> we know where the hierarchy falls in the shower here in Wanderbus, apparently <laughs> But anyway, so then we left Oasis State Park and drove straight south towards Roswell. And man, that was a cool drive for me. Uh, Middle of nowhere, you know, I I had that thousand miles from nowhere song stuck in my head the whole time. (laughs) It it's just a lot of vast emptiness and you keep going and keep going. But you're not so far away from civilization that you're Mm -hmm. like. Oh, there's not a fuel station anywhere near me or anything like that. Can I just say, though, that the route we were taking, I really wish that it had actually taken us through Roswell because (laughs) this detour you took. I took a detour. Yes. And you put Wanderbus through the paces and because we kept going over, we were well, Google Maps gave me two options and one of one of them would take us straight through downtown Roswell. And the other option took us sort of the back way into the park. So we exit the the highway um, about two thirds of our drive onto a country road. You know, one of those roads with no lane markings. Going through basically a cattle ranch. We were we were we were going through grazing field after grazing yes. field, and we were, and we had to kept slowing down to go over. I don't know what they call them, but they're they're sort of. They're, they're like troughs with grates over them that cows yes. can't walk over. Yeah. So that. <laughs> and every it seems like every half a mile we hit one of those and had to slam on the brakes and go and go over one. And there were cows, you know, wandering up to the road. <laughs> and it would shake the ever loving life out of. This yeah. Bus. So next time we're not taking that. Route. Normally, no. what I'd like to do is I like to plan my route out and look at the uh, get on Google maps and do the street view version so I can actually see the roads. We had marital issues while we were on that road because I was so frustrated with books started falling out of bookshelves, which are super packed tight. Like 
Yeah, it it's takes rare for that lot. to happen. Stuff started falling off <laughs> shelves. Like children were terrified. Like it was the last probably like 45 minutes. And, you know, Jason's all up there and he's like, oh, this is so beautiful. And <laughs> we're all look like, at this. Look at this. Like, no, what? <laughs> we can't hear you because everything's falling. <laughs> like, it was, but once but, we got yes. to to this state park that we are at now bottomless lake state park the drive into into the park gorgeous you can see mountains off in the distance and uh and and we pulled in and this is a fantastic park it this is a fantastic campsite we are at site number 25 it is perfect if you ever come here book this site it's a pull through it is huge or the ones adjacent to it as Mm -hmm. well yeah Right next to the lake. It's beautiful. Yeah, New Mexico state parks are, I mean, they're killing it. These, these are great. And for, yeah. mean, we have the, the state park pass that we bought. So we're paying four bucks a night. But even without that, you'd be paying, what, 14? I think something like that. And on top of that, this is fantastic Wi-Fi here. I yeah. Am, the Wi-Fi is fantastic. We are. They, they have like, we can see on the Wi-Fi ranger, they have like six different Wi-Fi antennas mm-hmm. in this little campground that maybe holds 30 RVs. It's really nice. We really appreciate it. We have been able yeah. to work without having to leave. The, the last the park we were at did not have. No. And the one we're, going, the one we're to. going to. So not all the New Mexico state parks no. have Wi-Fi, but this one, this is New Mexico's oldest state park. And uh, it's, it's a, it's a great place. It's yeah. really well done. We'll talk about it a lot more on next week's episode when we're going to sort of talk about Roswell in this area yeah. in this park. Um, but it's been interesting being here. There was a. <laughs> we will go through that the story because this is a good story. I hope the the parents are not listening. Oh. Um, Nana Susie, if you're listening right now, please turn off and come back in about three minutes. <laughs> there was a full on manhunt that went through our campground yes, the other night. There was. And I'm talking like helicopters and searchlights and camp host came up to us and said, hey, get inside. Somebody is armed and dangerous. They escaped the police. They are through here. <laughs> and I, I I don't think that has anything to do with the safety of this campground no, or this no, no, area no. or anything. Not at all. I think it could happen anywhere. But it was just pretty wild, especially because the police just sort of cleared out. And we didn't know. Did they catch this person? Or were they giving up for the night and he was just roaming the (laughs) campground still? You're Uh, on your own, buddy. (laughs) It was interesting because it started at dusk, right before nightfall. And I was like, you know, hey, there's a bunch of cop cars over there up on the ridge. Do you notice those? And shortly after I mentioned that to Jason, the camp host came up and, you know, go inside. You should lock your doors. If you see someone walking around call 911. And, you know, I don't want to sound like we didn't take this seriously. We took it very seriously. And we had some very serious discussions about, do we get in the car and leave? Should we leave? Like, yeah. should we be here? And, you know, we're about 13 miles away from Roswell. We're not far at all, but it is just isolated roads to get there. But also I think we came from living in Chicago yeah. and I don't want to make it seem like, you know, you walk down Chicago and streets and there's violence everywhere, but um, this is not something we are not accustomed to. No. You know, we knew that the best thing we could do is stay put and do as they asked us to do. And 
we felt very comforted by the fact that there was a ranger constantly circling the campground, that there was presence. And there is actually all day, every day. This campground seems very secure. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of They were not, during that time, they were not allowing anyone in. Yeah. So I'm guessing they probably weren't allowing anyone out. They might not have been. And if we had gone out, we might not have been able to get back in at a decent time. So Yeah. So we stayed put and we felt that if the police presence had left and no one was coming up and telling us that we needed to leave, then things were probably fine. And we went to bed and everything has been, you know, hunky-dory since then. But it was definitely a really interesting, you know, couple of hours and when that helicopter came by with its searchlight that I think I think that was the moment I said uh okay do you think we should leave <laughs> like now I'm I'm feeling a little a little stressed out and Jason was like no 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 we're good let's just stay in here and let's just watch some amazing race or something <laughs> don't tell the kids and we didn't we didn't tell the kids no. the so, neighbor told the kids the next day <laughs> yeah yeah this neighbor girl she was <laughs> she told the kids about the manhunt we were like great <laughs> Oh Thanks. man! But we're having a lovely time here, and we'll yeah, break it down more. Roswell's next week. great. Um, I'm not sure that it's a. We like to spend a decent amount of time in in any destination. I'm not sure for most people that it is a week long destination like we're spending. But there's a lot to do here. You know, we haven't done much of the alien stuff yet. Not That's yet. why we're waiting until next week to talk about it. But we've done some of the natural stuff yet and stuff around here, and that's been pretty cool. So yeah. So there you have it. That was just our like three days to get here. And then that was our little run in with the law. So <laughs> it's been really exciting. So we should probably take a little break when we come back. We can talk about converting a bus. Yeah. Be right back. So we thought we'd take some time to do a little bit of a breakdown of the costs of converting a school bus, if you might be interested in doing so. Yeah, we get a lot of questions about this. And so while we're just going to make a blanket statement again, that this is much like RV ownership, it's all going to depend upon your budget. And there are people who do this for next to nothing. And then there are some who do it for a lot more than next to nothing. And for us, it was really about we wanted a motorhome and we had specific requirements for a motorhome. We yeah. wanted space for our three kids and we we didn't want to have to convert dinettes and stuff for them. And there just wasn't much on the market in the, what we could afford, very used, that we could have purchased. You know, So we decided we were going to build our own RV. And it is an RV. We consider it an RV. Some some schoolie owners don't consider there's an RV. And State of Illinois considers sort of it an RV. Drift in between <laughs> people that own RVs and, and schoolies and tiny homes. But yes, the state considers it an RV. We consider it. And it's it's the same. And the, the electrical systems, the plumbing systems, it's all the same as any other motorhome out on the road. Yeah. So the first thing to consider when you want to look into converting, I think is three things. One, how much time do you have to devote to this? Because it is an all-consuming project. Yeah. Two, how much do you want to spend? And a lot of this is going to be upfront costs that you can't just take out a loan 
for the RV and then pay it monthly. Like you're going to be paying cash most likely for this schoolie. And then you're going to be paying for all of the building materials up front. And then I think the third is before you even make that first purchase, I would encourage you to spend some time on YouTube, perhaps in a few Facebook groups that are schoolie focused groups and get a feel for what it really is like to go through this process. Because I think the same can be said anytime you're thinking about purchasing a new RV or you're thinking about going full time or you want to go to a particular place for vacation. You spend a little bit of time researching it to make sure that it's something that you want to give your money and your time to. Yeah, the the research phase is really the most important part. And it's really where you figure out what you're going to do, how you're going to do it. And is, is it something you can do that you have the skills to do or that you can learn the skills to do? So I recommend three places. One being YouTube, lots of great YouTube channels out there. People step-by-stepping building their bus. The Facebook groups I want to recommend one is called Schoolie Nation. That's S K O O L I E nation. And another one is school bus conversion. And those are really great places where you can ask a lot of questions. You can just hang out and see the questions people are asking and see kind of what's involved. There are just a lot of weird things involved in in building a school bus. For instance, you remove the seats and then there's this plywood and rubber floor. There is this metal ceiling and you want to insulate behind them. Or there are these big heaters. There's these our bus had three heaters that are actually run from coolant on the engine and you need to remove those heaters to have space. And how do you get rid of those heaters and, and loop the engine coolant back? So you're not damaging your engine. That's just the tip of the iceberg. There's Mm -hmm. lots of things to consider the, the size of your bus, the length, the, the type of the bus, some are flat front. Some have that traditional school bus dog nose front look to them. Some have a rear engine, a front engine. What, what brand motor does it have makes a really big difference for the life of the engine, the, the maintenance of the engine, what type of transmission does it have? There's so many things on the speed you're going to get on the highway and the mileage you're going to get a lot of things to consider. So much to consider. And I think another thing that I should have actually had four items instead of three, the fourth one, if I could add on would be that if you are not going at this alone, and you have a partner or it's your family, you all need to be on board yeah. with this. Like, Because it's a lot of hours. It's it a, is. If you're building a house. It is. And, you know, we've talked about this in the past. When Jason first brought this idea and said, you know, I think this is something we should do. I was not on board. Like, I wanted no part of this and whatsoever. I, you know, to be honest, I wasn't either. I was just kind of teasing you with it at first. <laughs> yeah. But then, man, I really got into it. Yeah. And that was the research phase. He started getting into it and then he started bringing me into the world and we turned pretty quick. I I think both our minds turned pretty quick to this and we said, yes, this is what we want to do. Part of it, it was the comfortability of having a background in theater where Jason had been doing constructions and sets, having a lighting degree. So he had extensive knowledge of electrical wiring and how all that needs to work. Those are things that if you don't feel comfortable with, also recognize you're going to have to spend the time 
educating yeah. yourself. And you can totally do that. Do I, not let those to. things intimidate there are, you. There are things that I, I, I didn't know a lick about plumbing and I, I have never been a motor vehicle person, no. know much about engines or anything like that. And I've had, especially diesels, I had no clue about diesels, had to learn a lot about that stuff. And I think anybody that does this is that you have to be a learning person. Mm-hmm. You have to be somebody that's willing to go out and figure out how to do something. So I feel like we spent a lot of time just kind of talking about the like before you even purchase yeah. the schoolie. But I think that that is almost the biggest part, like yeah. that you really need to be invested in this because there are a lot of people who are doing this. But this isn't going to be a case of like I buy, I have buyer's remorse yeah. and then I sell it off really and easily. And it sounds like, OK, you can go buy a bus for $3,000. Ours was 3400 and And then you put a couple more thousand into it and you're done. And that's not the case at all. No, it could be. I it mean, could be. It could, it could be. You could you can slap a futon in there and a camp stove, and it can be your little hunting cabin. Absolutely. Uh, but we ended up, and ours was not a super expensive one, but we ended up throwing about twenty thousand dollars into ours. I would push us closer to twenty five. Closer to twenty five because yeah. we had to replace the transmission, we had to replace the tires. We also made choices like buying a thousand dollar compost toilet, yeah. which we have talked about in a past episode. We made a few other choices that we wanted specific things, but to offset that thousand dollar toilet, we also had to cut areas of things that we did want. And that was fine, too. But ours is incredibly comfortable. It has everything that we need at this point. We did spend twenty five thousand dollars to do this, which still in the world of RVs and tiny homes. We have a brand new motorhome on the inside. Yeah. The chassis is older. Uh, but it still only has it, it just turned over to 80,000 miles on it. And uh, and it's in, in great shape now that it's got a new transmission. Yeah. And uh, like a kitten. <laughs> it does. And brand new tires. Yeah. You know, and those there again, just like with RV ownership, just like with home ownership, there are going to be expenses that you had no idea were coming down the line. And for us, we had no idea that transmission was going to go out on us. and. I think that's another thing to take into consideration that you will not be able to take this to just any general mechanic, that your repairs for your schoolie are going to cost a yeah. little bit more. I think the same probably could be said of a class A as yeah. well. But, you know, that is a factor when you weigh it against like the cost of it can be cheaper to convert and it can be cheaper to go with this lifestyle. The flip side to that could be that if you have something major happen to the bus that cost is going yeah it's going to hurt when you write that check but everything on the inside look i built it i know where it is i can Mm -hmm. open up the walls i can i can fix the you know the electrical outlet um i can fix the plumbing i can i can do all that because not only because i built it but because uh i i learned a lot of skills along the way in building it Another thing we should mention, too, is that if you do do your research and you don't feel comfortable taking on this project, but you feel really passionately about wanting a schoolie, there are people out there whose businesses are designing and building schoolies for other individuals. You could absolutely shop this out. Yeah, you might have seen there's a show called The Bus Nuts. I've actually never seen it because it's never been on a channel that we get. I think it's on the DIY I network. I think it's DIY. But uh, 
Charlie Kern is a, a he's a guy who's in several of those school bus conversion groups who who runs this shop and he has this show on the DIY network and he converts them for a living and you can you know you can go buy them and that's going to cost you a little bit more and, and it's going to cost you a lot more but you know but it's, it's going to be still probably cheaper than buying a new motorhome it could might be. not be new, cheaper than buying a used motorhome but you're getting a tank on wheels mm-hmm. i mean these things are these things are built like beasts they are solid steel everywhere and uh and they're safe i mean that's one thing that you can definitely say about them is they are really super safe vehicles yeah so we will have probably by the time this podcast comes up, we will actually have up on our Our Wandering Family YouTube, finally, a walkthrough we of We finally Wanderbus. did a walkthrough video. 16 People months later. People have been later. asking forever for us to do a walkthrough video. We're the and worst we, at this. To be honest, we've procrastinated and procrastinated it because our bathroom is not finished. No. And our bathroom is... <laughs> it's like... it's It made some strides over the last few weeks. <laughs> But There's it's some just not plumbing in there, there now. <laughs> yet. No. So we did a walkthrough video anyway with the unfinished bathroom. And you'll be able to see that on our, our Wandering Family YouTube channel. We'll link to it into the show notes as well. It might not be out the day the podcast comes out, but it'll be out within the next few days. Yeah. And that'll just give you an idea in our world of what a around $25,000 yeah. conversion looks like. And what, like. Our, what our life is like, you know? Yeah. It's hard to pinpoint and say, this is exactly how much you are going to spend. But for all of those who have been asking, understand that whatever you can spend is what you can spend. And also know that that needs to have a little bit of wiggle room, that you are going to have some expenses that pop up with this that you didn't know about. And I think I've probably said that a dozen times. It looks like you build some walls and some bunks and you throw a TV in there and that's it. But you got to remember that you need, uh, you need the batteries, you need the electrical management system. You need the charger, you need a, a water pump, you need the plumbing, plumbing fittings. My God, every single little elbow or T plumbing fitting, they're like five bucks a piece. And that stuff, that's the stuff. It's not like the water pumps and stuff. The stuff that adds up so quickly is all those little things. If you want anything better than a piece of pine, you're going to be paying $10 a board. Mm -hmm. And let's not forget, too, that you are going to have to insure this. And it is a bit of a struggle to insure a schoolie. The major insurance companies do not insure school buses. And that has been a little bit of a a sticking point. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it is going to cost you. It's not going to be just a little, you know, 30, 40, 50 bucks, at least in our world, in the state of Illinois. It has not. Now, this is going to, again, widely vary from state to state. And every state is going to have a different way they play this game. But you are going to have to have it converted into an RV, registered Mm -hmm. as an RV. You are going to have to insure it. And a lot of times they're going to want you to lump if you have a car, they're going to yeah. want you to lump those two things together. And there is an issue with acceptance at some campgrounds. Mm-hmm. So if you decide to go this route, know that there are going to be some campgrounds that are not going to be crazy about a school bus conversion. It's We're okay with that because it's often the campgrounds we don't really want to be at. 
It's we off. are state and national park yeah. campground lovers. And so we feel very accepted in those particular environments. Yeah. There are other environments inside the camping world. It's not often, camping it's, world. But. It's often places where you're, it, it's often monthly stays where they have the biggest mm-hmm. issue because they have different insurance requirements for monthly stays and they don't want. Uh, there are people that have done this with school buses that they buy cheap. 40 year old buses and they do throw a futon in it and call it their camper. And then it breaks down at a campground and then that campground's responsible for getting it out of there. And I think that's what concerns campgrounds more than anything. And that feeds into that 10 year rule that a lot of them have with RVs in general. If, if the place has a 10 year rule for RVs, they're not going to allow school bus conversions. Yeah. You know, that's pretty straightforward. Um, but I'd say for us, the private campgrounds that we've talked to, it's maybe uh, maybe 10, 15 percent of them have an issue with a school bus conversion. That number gets a lot higher in the southwest and in Florida, where there's a lot of demand for the campgrounds and it gets higher again with monthly stays. Yeah. So there you have another sort of thing to consider as you look to this particular type of travel is what kind of camper do you want to be? And are you OK with not being able at this point? particular junction. Maybe it won't always be this way, but are you okay with not being able to go to certain campgrounds? Yeah. We love our bus. We're very happy in it. It works very well for us. We we probably will end up in a different sort of RV someday. Absolutely. Um, we we're, you know, as we've been going to RV shows, we're really thinking what we never thought before, never even crossed our mind that we might be trailer people. We might be travel trailer people. Telling you, you know that Coleman, that was a good <laughs> no, the, uh, coachman. Coachman, sorry, yeah. sorry. Yeah. I'm sure Coleman, you're probably just as fine too. But man, that coachman, that was a fine trailer. I'm not quite sure there is anything more really in broad strokes that we can say about this. We are always incredibly happy to answer specific questions about our conversion and what we did in certain areas. You're more than welcome to email us and ask us those questions. We won't go into too much detail here, though, in the podcast. Yeah. So if you do have questions about school bus conversion, it's something you want to do. Email us at editor at RV Miles, and we're, we're glad to help point you in the right direction, give you some tips on where to at least start getting some information. <laughs> so on that note, let's wrap this episode up with this week's brain teaser. Let's do it. And I'm going to do this week's because I found it. Yes, you did. All right, I'm ready. All right. You throw away the outside and cook the inside. Then you eat the outside and throw away the inside. What did you eat? I thought because we had the, <laughs> the RV Epicure discussion. Well. I would do this. Let me do it one more time. Yeah. You throw away the outside and cook the inside. Then you eat the outside and throw away the inside. What did you eat? An avocado. (laughs) That's such a bad answer. (laughs) We'll have the answer to that brain teaser on next week's episode of the RV Miles podcast. We will. And if you know the answer, head over to editor at RVMiles.com and send us an email. Let us know what your answer is. And we will randomly pick a winner next week. And while we've got you here, if you are enjoying the podcast, we would love if you would give us a five-star review or if you haven't subscribed, do so. And hey, tell your friends and family. All right, guys. See you next week. 
Keep blogging those RV miles. Bye. Bye.